Welcome to Work is Good, a CSM podcast. My name is Landon Buto, and I host the show with my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and president at CSM. Today we have another conversation about coffee with Philip Meach of Cafe Luso. As a reminder, we'll be posting these coffee conversations on a bi-weekly basis. And in these episodes, I have the chance to talk to Philip about coffee and learn from him. He's the founder and owner at Cafe Luso, a coffee roaster here in Redmond, Washington. On this episode, we talked specifically about French press and pour-over. What are the pros and cons of the two brewing methods, and what are best practices for each? So please enjoy today's conversation, and remember that if you are interested in getting a mortgage with CSM, go to clevelandstreet.com. Philip, Dad, thanks for joining us today. Um, we are back here for round two of another coffee conversation with Philip. Had some great feedback. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation last time, learned a lot, and uh, excited to dig in a little bit more here today. Um, Philip, we're going to get into a little bit about uh, French press versus pour over, um, pros and cons, trade offs, different uh, tips on, on the process. Uh, anything by way of introduction that, that you have for us on, the, on that conversation? I think both methods are great for making superior coffee at home or at your office. Both methods offer a fair amount of control over your extraction parameters and ultimately what you pull out of the coffee into the cup. So you got two winning methods and it's fun to just have a discussion about some of the differences that you're going to get in the cup. Yeah. 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 They're, I mean, part of the reason they came to mind is because they just came up in our conversation last time. Uh, but also, you know, we did we did French press. Uh, I grew up with dad making it and that was pretty much all I had for a long time. And then uh, we mentioned ahead of time, you know, the cleanup's different with French press versus pour over. So I shifted over to pour over in college because it was a lot easier to clean up. Just throw throw away one paper filter there. Um but yeah, what what are some of the noticeable differences that you have in mind? I think the first thing we'd want to talk about is sort of the dissolved solids, um, what you extract out of coffee. Um, a quick note, tertiary note, really on oils. People talk about coffee oils or the oils that you see beating out or sweating out onto the surface of the coffee. Just a quick note, that's nomenclature that's not going to go anywhere because that's what the industry's called it forever and i don't know how we're going to reverse it they're not really oils um one of the properties of oils from sort of a, a chemistry perspective is it has to be insoluble in water coffee oils are a hundred percent soluble in water mm. um how does that relate to these two methods well it's it has to do with the filter mechanism so in a French press, one of the things that many people love is you tend to get this cup that is richer and it has visible oils. So I'm holding a cup right now, the French press that I just poured. And if I look into the cup and sort of rock the cup forward at a 45 degree angle and rock it back, I can see on the inside of the cup where the coffee just was, uh, the tracing of these extractables, these solubles. Mm -hmm. In a V60, most of the time, if you're using a paper filter, and this would be true of Chemex or any sort of pour over type, you're probably not going to end up with that. They tend to be held back by the filter. Is that good? Is that bad? That's a personal preference taste. Mm. Uh, what is the what is the taste 
um, of the oils? Like what, what do you notice as different when they're there versus not? You're definitely going to have more of a slickery, um, well, more viscosity, first of all, more body, higher, higher viscosity, more mouthfeel, that sort of thing. So some people on the, on the outside might say it tastes a little more chewy. Yeah. Um, versus a V60, like a Hario V60 or any type of other pour over with the filter, more often than not, you're going to get what you might call a little bit more refined cup or a cleaner cup, uh, maybe a cup that features more clarity and definitely lighter body. So you've got two different brew methods that you can do right in front of you on a table, but you're going to get very different sort of solubles and mouth viscosity, mouth feel and that sort of thing. So, Philip, you also, you know, so you've referenced a couple of times V60 for the uninitiated. Can you kind of give me a little more background on what that is? Absolutely. Let me grab one here. Yeah. So this is, I'm holding up right now, a Hario is the manufacturer, H-A-R-I-O. This is a Hario V60. Um, probably so named because it's something of a V-shaped and that angle happens to be 60 degrees. Okay. So kind of form follows function here on the uh, on the naming of this stuff. Um, but any type of pour over, one cup, two cup size would be in this category of what we're talking about. You're going to put in a paper filter. Um, and if you do brew that way, you're going to want to pre-wet it to rinse out any papery taste, depending on the quality of the filter to get any dust or sediment, depending on how it was stored, and get it to kind of stick to the sides. So if we go, if we go come back and do another episode on just the pour over method, uh, one of the things that people, uh, it will make your, your pour over life easier is if you put the filter in and then with your gooseneck kettle, if you have one, and if not, that's okay. Um, but just get some hot water in there and it will help it have some tackiness and stick to the side of the, of the pour over uh, brewing vessel. And it just it keeps it from trying to pop out while you're trying to scoop your coffee. You're doing all the stuff at five in the morning or six in the morning, and you don't need this to be complicated. So it's just a little hack um, that does a couple things for taste and a little bit for usability. So, so, is, so is the V60, um, you know, so what are, like what would I choose instead of a V60 if I'm doing a pour over? What are the kind of the range of of different, I don't, I don't know, different different structures or, or you know, different you know, is it different angles some of them have? Are there what, what are the reasons you would choose a V60 versus, or is that just happened to be the, the, the thing it's named? Yeah, for on the, on the smaller side, for like a cup at a time, Hario has a good brand, a strong yeah. reputation. They don't make any junk. You know what you're getting. There are these little groove. You can't probably quite see this if you're watching um, the channels here uh, that help water flow so it doesn't get um, backed up. Mm. or jam you need a little bit of air to reduce vacuum pockets uh, so, yeah because so my sort of, sort of thing. i was gonna ask my uh my chemex it gets to a certain point where i i usually make like 30 ounces in it and by the third pour of the water it starts like bubbling up and shooting like yes. the the air gets stuck and it starts shooting water out yeah, that's the, this is probably the only varsity athletic part of making a good pour over coffee is making sure that you don't get channel lock. You have to have some sort of vacuum path for the air. You need to lay the filter in correctly and that sort of a thing. So, I mean, we're just it's we're just making a cup of coffee here, guys. But um, 
there are some techniques that separate the good from the truly great. Why we're here. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so anything else uh, as far as just the overall differences? I want to get a, a little bit into each one recommend recommended tips for for the process and maybe a little story for each one. But just overall, does that pretty much cover the the general differences? Yeah. And so far as like what you're going to get in the cup, that's a good broad. We covered the waterfront there. Um, from a mechanism perspective, French press or the press pot is as, about as simple and elegant as it gets. I mean, you've got a beaker and you put it in coffee and you put it in water and you wait some period of time and then you press it down. No need for it to be much more complicated than that. And I like that because it gives you a lot of control if your grind is slightly off. Whereas any kind of a pour over, the fineness or coarseness, the granularity of each particle is going to be a net determiner of what the flow through rate is because that's the only thing stopping it so for example if you hold a pour over filter like this and drop in whole bean coffee to be extreme and pour water over it it's going to go through really fast and right. look like something you might have had in a diner 30 years ago <laughs> that kind of thing if you go way too fine accidentally, if you order coffee from your roaster or if you're getting out of a grocery store and there's a grinder there and you're not quite sure and you run the risk of it getting ground too fine, you've got quicksand. I mean, it's right. it, you can expect a reduction of the, the correct flow through rate. And what does that amount to? Well, it's like steeping tea, more contact time and more surface area because you accidentally had it ground too fine is going to go right to over extraction. So that's when you get your higher acid notes, um, bitterness, and that sort of a thing. So overall, French press is the easiest way to make yeah. awesome coffee. But it's like anything else. I mean, you, it's saddle time. If you have some, some good uh, videos maybe from YouTube or somebody who knows what they're doing shows you the way, once you've made a, a pour over five or six times, you, you kind of got it. Now, Philip, I, I noticed you're you you're you've got a French press there that's got three quarters of a beaker left in it, half, you know, and um, that's okay. That doesn't over extract it. That's uh, it's getting cooler, of course. You yeah, know. It, it's cooler, and you've got you've got a window. So I'm I made this full French press for myself and um, another staff member here this morning. Um, I'm probably not going to continue to drink the rest of this. This is kind of a little demo, almost like a prop. Yeah. So we, yeah. we pressed it and then we poured two cups off of it right away. Right. And I'm enjoying that here. So I'm glad you asked the question because I think we might have quickly gone over in the last podcast that yeah. we call these French presses. And I would prefer that we start calling them the press and pour just to have that little mnemonic in your mind that that's the that's what you want to follow technique wise press the coffee down dispense because right now we've got all the ground coffee here in the bottom right it's going to continue to extract right it will get it'll get a little chewier yeah Thank last you. time you said it was the the press and pour not the press and store dad yeah no oh, oh, i like that yeah so if you're going to do a big press and you want to do it once in the morning but you want to drink that coffee over three, four hours, probably getting a glass lined thermos is probably the best thing that you can do in okay. so far as preserving, preserving the heat and product integrity. Oh, great. Cool. 
Or the Lusso one could be called the Press and Roar. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, there you yeah, go. Well, well done. Yeah. The, the, the dad jokes appeared on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, with that, um, Philip, can you can you walk us through a little bit of the just the specific process of making each? Get a little bit into the details of um, water temperature, granularity of, of your grind, um, just kind of a little bit of the details of the process of each. Yep, let's start with French press. Um, so you've got your clean, dry glass beaker, and into that would go your ground coffee, and it should be fairly coarse, coarser than even coarse sand. You don't want it to be chunks of, big chunks of beans, but it definitely is on the coarser side. Um, as opposed to a V60 or other pour over where it's kind of your classic drip coffee style grind that feels much more like sand, really. So, Water temperature. Um, can I just ask a quick question? The standard cheap grinder that we all get, um, whatever it's called, Brunt, Brunt, Brunt. The weed remember. whacker. Yeah, yeah. So what grind is that defaulting to typically? Is that coarse? Is that medium? Is that fine? So the, just trick, the trick with the the what we uh, um, sort of a term of endearment, I suppose, but the, the weed whacker type grinders that are typically, you know, 1995 and you put coffee in there and you hit the button, and you see two blades just start, you know, they spin around right. and they kind of hack at the coffee like a blunt instrument, um, which is not as ideal from a quality perspective where you're wanting to shear the bean, you're wanting to flake the bean, you're wanting to open the pore surface as evenly as possible. Um, and you can you can experiment with all of this stuff and do it side by side and really taste the difference. But that aside, the hardest part with the weed whacker is probably getting uniformity every time because right. that's going to be determined by number of seconds that you hold the button down. Right. There, all of those grinders are a little bit different, so it's kind of hard to say like four seconds is the right amount of time for French press and eight seconds is right. You can figure that out on your own at home easily enough. I just can't speak to it because I don't know the particular brand models right. we we strongly advocate for burr grinders as opposed yeah. to the, what, what are called blade grinders and part of that is a um consistency of particle size and removing guesswork and, and inconsistency and things like that it's just a, it makes a nicer cup okay thanks for the yep. disruption there now you were going to say something really important sorry well dad I, dad's tried to get a burr grinder a couple times and he's never liked He's, it's never been coarse enough, right, Dan? Yeah, a lot of times, the, yeah. The, the, the coarse get... setting is is not coarse enough Yeah. for him. Is that a struggle or is that just a function of just paying the right price, finding the right? The yeah, right there's, there are so many burr grinders out there, again. So, I mean, I can speak to one manufacturer that we like, and that's Barazza, um, which is a... Um, what was based here on the east side, but I think they were gobbled up by Breville a couple of years ago. Um, but they make nice stuff. Um, the best thing that you can do is if you have a local coffee purveyor that sells grinders, and that could be a, a homeware store, could be a, a coffee cafe retailer type store, large chains, anything like that. Typically, they're going to have at least one model that you can purchase. Or if not, here's a link to a major online retailer that you can purchase from, that kind of thing. So it, okay. it shouldn't be too tricky to acquire 
them. Um, but that's a good thing to know what you're going to use it for. And so when you talk to that vendor, say specifically, I'm looking at something that's going to be amazing in the French press and and maybe drip coffee range. And that's different from saying I'm looking for an espresso grinder and having a burst set that's a little bit more geared towards that. Right. Um, so it's it's very few grinders that are going to hit it out of the park on the full spectrum between mm -hmm. Turkish espresso, V shit, you know, cone pour over, flat bottom pour over, AeroPress. French press cold brew. That's a big range of coffee. Mm. And it's not easy for one burst set to do that until you get into the fairly spendy category. Yeah. So uh, controlling your water temperature, very important. Um, most coffee seems to excel between 200 and 205 degrees Fahrenheit. If we have anybody listening from a high altitude like Denver, I think water boils at 205. 2 or 203 instead of 212. But in any event, wherever you're at, if you're the night again, the nice thing about a French press is you've got your kettle, and that can be an electric plug-in kettle, or that's something that goes on your stovetop. Take it up to a boil, rolling boil, turn off the heat, and then just kind of hang out, just wait 30 seconds or a minute. Let it come down just a little bit, and then you should be pretty much in the correct zone. The, the difficulty in a lot of drip, like auto drip coffee makers um, that have been popular in this country at home for a good 50 years is that they tend to have a brewing temperature that's too low. And that tends to not extract enough out of the coffee because we're talking about energy transfer. And you need enough stored potential energy in boiling water so that when you convert that into kinetic, into the extraction, that there's enough there to go into the pores of the coffee and pull out as all the things that you want. One quick note uh, is that you do have a temperature range based on the coffee and lighter roasted coffees tend to need a higher temperature and lower or, or darker roasted coffees get away fine at a lower temperature. Hmm. And so there's this kind of proportional relationship between how light or dark the coffee is and how low or high the temperature needs to be for optimization. Because if it's darker, it's more easily extracted. That's right. You have more solubility with darker roasts. Yeah, does, does, does the coffee bean care what altitude you're at? So are people at high altitudes just destined to have not less than ideal coffee? Or does the fact that the temperature boils at a lower temperature then allow optimization even at that lower temperature because it's boiling? Yeah, because it's just below boiling. Right. As, as far as we know, it's not altitude dependent in any way. Um, so I've never heard or seen of any experiences. Uh, sometimes you have to set your machines a little bit different, um, like espresso in particular. But insofar as just we're talking about a kettle of water here and just taking it up to what we call a, a boil or a rolling boil. Um, there's no need to, you don't need to put a thermometer, I don't think, in your hot water heating yeah, vessel. Yeah, but, but what I mean is if we're saying that, you know, in, you know, water boils at 212 or whatever, but if you get up to 9,000 feet, it's going to boil at 198. Um, then are you essentially saying that you, you're going to have suboptimal coffee because you, you can't, you can't get it to 205, you know, it's, it, water won't right. go there. Yeah, I would, I would say no. Um, we, we, We've never seen anything in our history about people having less. You know, we have clients all over the country and having any kind of an issue with altitude. The number, the nominal numbers are uh, different 
Yeah. But, but the relative heat energy is more constant. So, okay, cool. Good question. So in the actual brewing process, you know, I'm thinking of with French press, there's less question about what you're doing during the process, but I don't know, we've, we've wondered about stirring or, or swirling or, um, and then with pour over, how many pours are you going for? Is there, is there an optimal, um, de depending on, you know, how much you're making, um, how long should it take? So I'm going to, one broad brush stroke here is that agitation is a factor in extraction. So that is movement of the water and coffee together in whatever that holding mm. vessel is. So if you have a French press and you fill it with coffee and you fill it with water and then you do nothing and you wait four minutes and press it down, that's extraction A. Second extraction is you put coffee in the water, uh, coffee in the water all the way in and then you stir it constantly or you stir it every two minutes or you stir it once or something. And that is going to have an effect on extraction. Um, so you can call that agitation or you can call it turbulence. It just has it's more energy input into the system. Mm. With a pour over, people are doing that different ways with like, again, the gooseneck kettle, just because you can really control the rate of the, fl the flow and where the water's hitting the coffee. And you can do swirly patterns. You can work from the outside in. You can work from the inside out. You can do three different pours. There are people out there, though, that will put in their, uh, you know, here's your Chemex or here's your V60. They'll drop in the filter, in goes the coffee, and they'll pour one time all the way up and then just let, when it's dripped all the way through, they remove the top and then they drink the coffee. So there's, um, there, I would just say that they are factors, but finding what's optimal is largely dependent on what coffee you're using and what you want to pull out of the coffee. And that is a trial and error thing. So that we don't have a, there's no like, here's your four bomb proof steps. Yeah. You should always do. Yeah. Um, we, we can't really teach you how to swim efficiently, but we can, we can teach you how to not drown. And we can teach you how to not drown from this side of the pool to this side of the pool. But your geometry in the water might be more like a barge and less like a naval vessel, like a cutter. So those are, those are differences. Yeah. Cause it seems like, I mean, yeah, you if you said never never swirl it, but then you also had someone who was also using a lot lower ratio um, of coffee to water, then you're doubling down on the on the non-extraction side of the spectrum. So it seems like there's so many variables that you can't make rules for any of them. It's just know what what affects each each action has on on the end product yeah i think this is part of the the fun here and i know not everybody's trying to have fun with their coffee at 6 a.m <laughs> i get it there is some functionality at, at play but one of our core tenants here at cafe luso coffee roasters is to stay curious and in our channel that's coffee so we like to constantly try in fact, the, the new, new ratios, new brewing methods. I'm brewing this this press of Sumatra this morning, and it's a different ratio from the one I did yesterday of the exact same coffee. It's one big notch finer on our burr grinder, and it was a different time setting. So even mm -hmm. though it's the same coffee from the same batch a day apart, 
I'll kind of change it up and throw in a couple variables just to see what happens. I mean, I've been at this 29 years and I learn so many new things every week. And isn't that awesome that it's just not some kind of a stagnant, you know, you learn at one time and then that's the end of the story. You get to keep going deeper and deeper and letting your palate kind of be the guide. And so staying curious and having some fun, I think, in the process is important when time allows. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, dad, dad and I during um, kind of mid-March 2020, when we were stuck at home for a little bit there, we uh, ran a, ran an experiment where we were testing different variables and and recording the results and rating rating the results on you know one to ten how much we enjoyed it and uh, we ran it for a for a good I don't know two weeks every day maybe twice a day probably three times a day and I just remember thinking we should have results by now like we should be pretty clear by now. But I never felt really clear because there's just so many variables. There's too many variables. Yeah, that was the yeah. thing. It was just hard to isolate one variable, keep all the other ones the same, run it for a time. And then, you know, it's not that you couldn't do that and didn't do another one, but then having the side-by-side ability to say, okay, let's test these side-by-side. You, that's, yeah. just wasn't practical. That would be one of the coolest things in the whole world about finding a local retail coffee purveyor that offers tasting daily tastings weekly monthly tastings where you get the opportunity to do those side by sides because that's going to be a little more difficult than not super practical at home to let's let's brew up three french press do we even have three right. french press you know, that could be challenging um plus the time factor and everything else so it it'd be a really neat thing if you look around in your neighborhood and see who's doing coffee well and are do they have an education component or do they have a drop in from 3 to 5 p.m every wednesday and we do side by side comparative tastings because candidly that's when the lights really come on when you have fresh palate memory and not what did that coffee taste like three days ago when we were up 10 percent on the dosage and down five degrees and you know this and that when you get to do them side by side i mean 10 out of 10 everybody the lights just come on so Hmm. difficult to do at home and that's an encouragement to go out into the world and sort of is there anybody in my vicinity that is knocking it out of the park from a coffee retailer perspective or is there a roastery that i can go to where they really have a component of ongoing education they have to have a dartboard <laughs> it's one of the critical elements yeah. <laughs> Philip, do you guys do that do you do just kind of open tasting at all education we, we, there not not since the COVID era um yeah. we'll get back there lord willing when we do more of a, a, re, a big retail uh, show a few years down the road. Um, so right now we don't, we do it internally for our team and we do it with our wholesale customers, which is the, yeah. uh, the, the majority of our c- commercial activity. Um, so on that kind of education and that kind of comparative tasting. Um, yeah. So we'll get back there um, with the general public at, at some point. It's just not going to be for, uh, I think, a couple years. Sure. Great. Well, I'll let you uh, wrap up. I think we pretty much got to the end there. Uh, yeah, I, I am curious on the on the pour over specifically. I typically do three, uh, like I typically make 30 ounces and I will do a, a bloom and then a, uh, basically, I think two or three pours after that. Um, 
but it just it seems like it takes a, a long time for 30 ounces maybe i have it too maybe i have the the coffee too coarse i don't know my my first question would be by chance did you mean 30 grams uh sorry uh of the water coffee. 30 oh, ounces of water, of water. Okay. yeah 30 ounces of water yeah that's pretty i mean that's a fair amount um or by volume for like a Chemex, most of the people that do like a V60 are probably capping it around 12 to 15 ounces of water, more or less. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, um, if possible, we do recommend finding a good gram scale. Um, right. Large retailers have them, big box stores like Costco have them, get the price down pretty low. Um, and give, going back to that brew ratio. So if we're gonna put in, my press here from this morning had 50 grams of coffee, and 900 grams of water so 950 that's the 18 to 1 brew ratio um, and a lot of people like a 16 to 1 some people like a 20 to 1 did a 17 to 1 yesterday it is probably one of the best investments that you can make for process parameter control whether you're doing a pour over because you can do pour overs and french presses on a good size scale and weigh your coffee and weigh your water it'll, it'll change your world so you are you are literally weighing your water. Yes. Do they is water measurable? Like, can you just get a gram cup? You know that measures in grams, or is it? This is, we should do a whole second podcast on the manifest superiority of the metric system. Yeah. <laughs> Why there are only three nations industrialized on this planet that are not on the metric system. Um. This is the, the beauty of the metric system is they're interchangeable between weights and volumes. So one yeah. gram of water or, or like a kilo of weight, 2.2 pounds or one kilo of water uh, is one liter. Yeah, yeah. But going back and forth um, in, the, in the imperial system is, can be a little bit trickier if you're trying to have too many variables. Yeah. Oh. So like a cup, when you think of like a cup is eight ounces, but that's eight ounces by volume. It's not eight ounces by weights. Right. Depending depending on the substance that you put in the vessel. Yeah. Hey, so again, before sure. Landon before Landon cuts us off, is Sulawesi ever coming back? <laughs> you know, it's out there. I don't know when we're going to be able to pull one back in. Um, the the country continues to produce. Um, it's a it's a brilliant island wonderful single origin coffee and if you get the chance to try a nice Sulawesi you should make a priority to do so awesome all right yeah we'll we'll call it there for this week uh, excited to talk further next week definitely Philip. but uh thanks so much and uh, enjoy the conversation thanks guys awesome. thanks good to see you both thanks for listening to work is good if you enjoyed it share it with someone else leave a review and listen next week